this show on the road. <clears throat> All right. Hello, everyone. Tonight, tonight, today, I've... <laughs> The talk I'd like to give today is entitled Vulnerability, a Threshold into Awareness. And uh, I keep, uh, I give little, I try to give little pointers. We both try to give little pointers as to access uh, thin spots in our psyche where there's a, often an access point into our fundamental essence of being uh, because it's always it's usually so layered with language and emotions that the density of that prevent those those access points so last time I talked about all A-W-E as being an access point but I didn't mention one in crucial component of that and that is uh, when you when your eyes light upon something awesome or uh, kind of an enraptured beauty, it quiets you. It's it's that's that's its access point. Is it quiets us to its display, to its openness, to its everything, to its availability. So. On this side of all, we have to be allow that to quiet us, not to comment upon what we see as awesome. And the second thing, we have to stand at that access point as all, not with all. Because if you stand with all, you're one thought distant from it. Now, I know this is a refining of the knobs, but that's what we've been suggesting in terms of walking meditation, is that we change the prepositions so that we get closer to the essence, to being the essence, not having an experience of the essence. That's one of the um, real limitations, I think, in some teachings that have you experience awareness. Awareness, experience, and awareness. First of all, how many awarenesses are there? And secondly, experiencing awareness keeps you distant, keeps you commenting upon how you're doing. It's form, the sense of self is the interloper between that experience and the awareness we're having. It's to close that gap that's essential, not to have the experience of awareness from that gap, that's called mindfulness, really. Whether you're mindful of awareness or mindfulness of your belly or breath really doesn't matter so much. It's closing that distance. And that'll be my talk next time, how to close that distance. But I wanted to give you a heads up because as I bring vulnerability in as another access point, it gets sticky. It gets now you're you're playing with a whole dimension of emotional responses to being vulnerable that all didn't have. You know, anybody can stand in front of all. But what about being vulnerable? Vulnerability carries a an assumption with us of being 
uh, first fragile, but also exposed, naked. And as individuals, that's the last thing we want to do. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the kind of annihilation before annihilation where we expose ourselves or allow other people to see us fully exposed. And, but in the descendant phase of vulnerability, of awareness as it comes down into the spiritual heart, it carries that sense of openness. It's really openness as carried by the awareness, it's openness, as interpreted by me, I'm vulnerable. And so I want to explore vulnerability. <laughs> now, I thought about this years ago, and I, no one told me about it, I didn't read about it, but years later, I heard there was a TED Talk <laughs> on vulnerability that I did not copy, that uh, talked about, so I tuned it in, and it was really good. So if you have a chance to listen to the TED Talk on vulnerability, it's a different, it's an academic talk, but it really gives you some pointers that are very good pointers towards it. And I hope by the end of this talk you see the importance of that as an ongoing component of our lives to address and to expose and to examine and to to keep widening that hole, that gap. Because vulnerability, okay, let me start with an example that many of you have heard, but it's, it's the obvious example uh, that we can all relate to, and that was on 9-11, uh, Ellen was upstairs, I was downstairs watching the television, and Seattle time was like 8 o'clock in the morning or something, and, of course, all the channels were tuned to the planes crashing into the towers. And so I missed the first plane that crashed in, but I saw the second plane in real time crash into the tower. And I, I, the first thing from me was this enormous feeling of compassion and caring for the people's lives that I was watching being right in front of me and, and the thumping of people jumping out of the building, landing on roofs, and all of that terror. And and I stayed with that for a while, and, uh, and but then I closed down. It, wasn't, it was an unconscious closing. And what came then was anger. And I thought, okay, we got to find out the people who did this. And so I, w- I got amazed because... I saw the whole gap fill in a split second, and I wasn't even conscious that it occurred. I saw the heart, the openness of the heart, the availability of of seeing at for seeing's sake, not for any reason other than to expose oneself to the pain that was there so obviously. And yet that was, for me, when I later deciphered it all, that was a moment of extraordinary vulnerability that I, 
packaged into anger. And I began to realize, this was quite an insight I had, and I hope you can use it as such in yourself, that all of the dividing emotions, I can't think of a single, I've spent a long time trying to think of a single dividing emotion that isn't a reaction to being vulnerable. Fear, anger, even small things like annoyance, irritation, impatience, all of them, all the dividing emotions that says this should not be happening, have at their root center the feeling of being vulnerable, wanting to close back down and using these emotional responses of divisiveness to do just that. And I began, whoa, this is amazing. So this is where the divisive emotions arise. This is how they arise. But here's, here's an equally important insight. If I stay with vulnerability, all of the intrinsic heart qualities that are not divisive, that are intrinsic to awareness itself, remain. All the ones we talk about, compassion, uh, love, sensitivity, caring, concern, And when I was looking at what awareness contains intrinsically without mind involvement, all of those qualities are intrinsic within it. And I was thinking, what's what's one word that captures the spirit of awareness for me when I'm still? And I looked at love, and I looked at caring, and I looked at compassion, and I looked at you know, equanimity, all that. And what it was, it was so interesting to me because I lighted upon loving kindness. And that's what we call it. That's what we, that's the, that's what we call metta. And so somehow, someone brought the absolute perfect response from my description out of awareness, and then we call metta loving kindness, which is as close as I think words can get to the feeling tone, and there's not a feeling tone, so I'm using words that don't describe the wordless, but I'm using words. So it's the expression of awareness is loving kindness. That's what it emanates. That's what it is. That's, That's it. And it's so beautiful because it's not vulnerable. <laughs> Loving kindness is fearless. It's not fearless in the sense of all protected fearlessness. It's ex- complete exposed fearlessness. It's wide open fearlessness. We keep calling, you know, those qualities of complete openness different names. So, like, is fearlessness. It's also love, wide open, right? It's also patience when you're not waiting and they're just being present. I mean, it's all, it's all of those things from a human mind interpretation of being still, basically, and very much alive in that stillness. So this was 
this was a, a really profound uh, readjustment of my relationship to emotions. And I, want, I just want to take a practice point now. Uh, and I would suggest looking throughout the day at ways that you're vulnerable. Vulnerable means that it means that your expectations aren't being met, basically. Okay, so it could be as innocent as losing your car keys. And you know that moment you go, you know, that moment of where you get angry because you lost your car keys or you blame, you know, blame is another. What did you do with the car keys? You know, like I, no, oh, they're in my pocket. Sorry, dear. <laughs> so, so if we just hold it, just allow vulnerability without measuring it, without, you know, without claiming a, a responsible party. It's so hard because it's the antithesis of how the human persona, how the mind, how the sense of self needs its guardian, guardedness. I mean, that says it all. To be a human individual separate from, you need to be guarded from the space between you and the next, between you and your emotions, between you and what the mind is saying. So there's internal boundaries we set, external boundaries we set, all, and as we approach those boundaries, which we do many times in the course of a day, it feels vulnerable. You feel, you feel exposed. You, f- you know, you, and then you um, hire a therapist <laughs> who allows you to share some exposure, <laughs> and it feels so good to be able to move at that level of of discourse with somebody who's who you can expose yourself. I mean, the, the sense of of therapy at least halfway is self exposure. It's 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 this, you know. Uh, I don't have to stay tucked in all my life. Well, meditation does the same thing because it provides a different perception of our mind and bodily experiences. It provides. We don't have to stay protected. We don't have to protect ourselves. And it's only through being unprotected that we can be authentic. But the master way that we maintain our sense of individuality and selfhood is through control. Control is a response to fear. Fear is a response to being vulnerable. And so the need to control everything, sometimes that is far beyond just our need to emotionally guard, stay guarded, which is a kind of control, but it has its external, it starts seeping out externally so that we try to control others around us, we try to control every aspect of our lives to try to maintain and keep ourselves invulnerable. And I would suggest that... uh, 
That's a waste of time. It's moving in the completely opposite direction. You're, we are self-thickening instead of self-exposing. So take the opportunity, if you can find it, you know, when your expectations aren't being met, that fear response or anger response, you know, it's really, if you think of it, it's the five five stages of grief. What we're doing when an expectation isn't being met or when we've lost our control is grieving. We grieve. But the first act of grief is denial. Oh, this isn't happening. But we're too, hopefully, we're more aware than allowing denial to, uh, to, to be the last uh, obstruction. We, you know, being conscious kind of prohibits denial. And so then there is anger and betrayal and all of that, which are just divisive emotions that, that lead further and further astray. But it's interesting. Grief itself is actually a very tender and sensitive emotion. Grief itself is, is loving kindness that has the aura of loss but the loss somehow permits the loving kindness and what happens is that we block access to the genuine loving kindness of awareness through the memory through placing the memory of that which we lost onto the grief and that brings us back into personhood but it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, way of accessing awareness. So I want to just spend a little bit of time before I go to the next thread of vulnerability, uh, and that is talking about emotions, how much validity we give emotions in general in our lives. I mean, we don't realize that they're conditioned phenomenon, like thought. They're coming from having learned them. And it's interesting, when we get into therapy, you you want to try to analyze where those emotions you have came from. And we think the way to do that is to place blame on somebody else. Well, it was my mother and the way she treated me or my father or this or that happened to me. And that's why I feel this. That's why I have to feel this emotion. And we're trying to get some space between ourselves and emotion by attributing it to another cause. Instead of just saying, I don't care what the cause was. It doesn't matter what the cause is. Let me feel it fully, as a conditioned phenomenon. The best I think that kind of therapeutic analysis will do 
is show you that somebody, you're not to blame for it. And we carry so much guilt and self-doubt in us. We blame ourselves for every emotion we have. And we try to deflect the, the pain of that onto somebody else and blame them. But it's in us. We're the ones that have conditioned this phenomena in us. We're, the, we're responsible for the emotions we're having. But to be able to see them as a conditioned phenomena is extremely important because you carry them as symptoms of yourself otherwise. But to know what is conditioned can be unconditioned. To know what is conditioned can be extinguished is extraordinary, is very important to being able to find our way out of this. Because we have to we have to discover not th- not through hiding from them or repressing them we have to give them the belief we've invested in them and find our way out of that invested belief and to do that the first thing is to fully take them on as one's own responsibility and to stop the blaming Stop the analysis. It doesn't matter where it came from. This is what's left. This is the residue that I have to deal with. Now, I want to move that into what I call, um, what do I call it? Uh, I can't remember, but, oh, our hardened self-assumptions. After all of our youth, when we had no sense of, we were totally vulnerable to everybody's input, which is why we fear being vulnerable, is that look what happened when I was young and I had no way to decipher the truth of what was being said to me or just taking it on as a, as a truth in myself. Because there was no screen for that, we took on everything and much of it was self-negating, self-doubt, self... So each of us carry, especially in this West, and I have yet to meet very many... I've yet to meet... There are few individuals among us that don't carry the residue of those that early training in ourselves. And there's a deep personal self-assumption that's based in us, where we we took on that self-assumption to kind of protect us from any more vulnerable exposure. This is who I am. Now I can, I can get on with my life because I know who I am. And most of those self-assumptions, if not all, have a negative connotation. There's something missing in me. Something's lacking in me. I'm unworthy. I can't. I'm helpless. And over time, those harden often into a single self-assumption. I spent a long time trying to play it out of... I knew there was one in there because I could see it cover itself on virtually every action I did. 
And I said, okay, I need to get this down to a single sentence, to a single phrase. What, what's the phrase that describes me? Now listen. In firm self-belief, this is not a light memory that I can pass off. This is what I believe about myself. There's no space there. And so as I begin to look at that, I want to also just suggest that that is accessing extraordinary vulnerability when you ask a question like that. Because that's... Now you're going beyond the guards. <laughs> so you say, okay. Okay, so what is it that I'm carrying with me that I coat the world into my worldview? And I'm going to talk a lot about worldview. Worldview is what is established when we see a single thing of the world. All of it's established. The whole view part of that view is colored by our our self-incriminating references, which I am calling our self-assumptions. So when I I settled on the phrase, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And as soon as I said it, it fit. I knew that was the right phrase. It's kind of like a on, on the hint, uh, Enneagram, you know, when you come to the number that you are, you go, oh, that's me. When you come to the self-assumption that we are, oh, that's me. And so you get this sense of, oh, whoa. And then you, you feel the pain of it. When you say it to yourself, I, something's wrong with me. I don't feel it like I, believe me. <laughs> If this were the first time, <laughs> I'd be up here in tears. Okay, so when you lock it in and you really want to hear what's down in there, you really want to hear it. You're not interested in further protective responses, you see. Because this is protecting you from everything. From vulnerability. From openness. From equality from knowing your place in life, from everything. It keeps you off balance to everything. And we just live with it as a given, as an absolute given. And so when you see how off balance we all are when we live with our self-assumptions, you, you really want to go in there and see what that is. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't a lot of work going on with other emotions during this time. Of course there are. We all do that. And we all have learned very uh, dharmic ways of releasing emotions rather than investing infinitely in every emotion that comes along. But this is a different level of, of emotion I'm talking about here. This is the certainty that you are contained in this message, within this message. So... Something's wrong with me. Of course everybody knows that about me. So what is going to be, what's my, what's going to be my tactic here? Well, I, I made a, a list out for you because I want it to be helpful. 
And first of all, you have to do it in your own time. You can't force yourself upon this. And some of you will decide to die first before you do this. Yeah? I have said this, I've suggested this many times in many different arenas. I don't know if there's been very many people, maybe two or three, that have actually picked this up and gone with it. I don't know the numbers. But when you hear the, my view of the numbers, you see how hard this could be. So the first thing, narrow it down to a certain phrase. Something's wrong with me. Let me also say that if you're willing to go here, you have all of the courage necessary to take this all the way through. This is the stumbling block. This is the, stu- this is the major stumbling block. By far, by far, the hardest act, the farthest, hardest Dharma point I've ever, I ever traveled. So, okay, the first thing is, I'm, I'm, these steps thin it out, make it a little easier. So pay attention. If you're interested, if you're not interested. But we're talking that level of dharma this month. I'm not talking about how to deal with uh, sad, I'm sad. Okay, you, you know, you got that down in your first course or your first lessons of meditation. I'm annoyed. Okay, fine. You know, I can deal with that. Just hold it. Just be present. But this is, this is uh, magnitudes different. Okay, so the first thing is to narrow your self-assumptions down to something very accessible. Something wrong with me. Then you say, okay, I've got it. That's great. Good. Now watch, how, watch the spin-offs of that assumption. Now you're taking notes, you see. You're a cultural anthropologist to yourself. Cultural anthropologist, you're on an unknown culture and you're taking notes about the culture. Not to disrupt the culture, just so that you can get it in, into you, so you can see its landscape. Okay, so one of them is self-doubt. Laced with everything I do is a doubt because there's something wrong with me. I, I'm not up to it. So they must know better than I. And you just keep looking at how many children you have birthed from this central main point of there's something wrong with you, or whatever yours is. And you want to you want to get the language you use. You know, for, because there's different tones of there's something wrong with me <laughs> and the emotions that come out. So just like journal, journal it so that it all becomes completely known to you. So you know the landscape, you know the feeling. And as you get more and more subtly intoned into that central self-assumption, you start noticing it everywhere you turn. Everywhere you turn. Everywhere. Because it's part of the world view. 
It's part of the view that you have spread out into the world in terms of your interpretation of the world. Coded on that is the interpretation of me in the world. Now, it's also helpful to sense its history. I mean, we don't have to go too far down. I mean, you begin to see what were the inputs that led to this assumption. You know, you, you, you knew how you were treated as a child and you knew, you know, the, the lack of real support you might have had. All of that, all of that. So all of that is part of the ingestion of a young child to form this assumption. And... Uh, but it's, the reason that's important is that you now know it to be a conditioned phenomenon. You weren't born that way. You didn't come out of the world saying there's something wrong with me. You learned that, okay? If it were not for the unconditioned, there would be no end to conditions. So the way out of this has to be through awareness, pure awareness. So how does that look in terms of a, of a method? Those two words are actually in conflict because it's, there's no methods that aren't conditioned. So you have to be very careful here. And this is, this is where most people if not all people fail. Okay. You have to go stir the pot. All right? So you say, there's something wrong with me. Or you can wait until it comes up in the multiple ways it comes up. And then you just arrest. And then you just go right down into that feeling. There's something wrong with me. You encourage... Now, listen, because this is where you can blow it. (laughs) Because you can make it into a conditioned response or you can make it into an unconditioned response. And there's only one way out of this mess, and that's not through more conditioning. You can't change the subject. You can change the subject. You can placate it, smooth it over, find all the reasons you're not like that, and you will still feel that way. Because it's the root assumption. It's what I believe about myself. And you can't change it. You can alter it a little bit, but you can't uproot it. The uprooting comes from the way that we approach it. Okay, so you've got to stop in stillness. And you've got to talk it up. Some people, I have heard, are better, can just write it. So whatever comes up when that is activated, there's something wrong with me, just start writing it down. I'm terrible. I remember doing this. I can't do that. And the, Because the memories are so treacherous in us, we have locked them into the cells of our body. And when they're accessed, the memories also arise. This is not cutting off the memories so I can just have... the. Just the feeling tone. Let me just deal with the feeling tone. You've got to deal with the whole message, which is the history of it. But the history of it 
comes out and you're convinced that the history of it is true because that's a self-assumption. That's who I think I am. And we add another layer of criticism to, oh, there I go again. I'm always feeling that. I know this is, oh, there we go. That convinces me it's true. Down it goes, thicker and more enticed and more energetic than it ever was. That ain't the way. It's got to be, it's got to have a full and you've got to be quiet and still with it. And so you say, there's something wrong with me. Oh, I feel it. You can feel the stirrings of it. And when you go into that, when you go into that assumption, I don't know if there's a hell, but that's as close as it gets, in my opinion. Because it is red hot. That's what you believe. You believe this. Don't pretend like you don't believe it, okay? Don't do anything. The belief... I, uh, <laughs> red hot poker. <laughs> Are people following all this? Okay. <laughs> what I did, I just paced back and forth. There's something wrong with me. I hate myself. I can't say all the different things I'd written down that were permutations of that assumption. I can't stand myself. I'm not as good as. I'm, everyone is, you know, all of it. Just talking it. Talk, because, not talking it adding something to it, but talking the message as it was coming out. So you're alleviating the conditioning without adding, key point, without adding a new sentence to it. You just hold it all in silence, even as you're down there stirring it up. Now listen carefully. It was inducted into you in time. And it will come out of you in time. That's what we're doing. And it doesn't take very long. Not if you're serious. You come to stillness. After a session, I would sit down and I would say, is there, I wonder is there, if there's any more come up. And then I'd shut up and see if there's anything else left for it to come up. And then I would go off and have my day. And then it would be stirred up again. And really, in very short, like months, not years. Not years. It would... It, now I don't actually feel it as I'm speaking about it. I don't, and I believe me, I, that's my root issue growing up. There was a moment yesterday, though, just to be honest with you, there was a moment yesterday when uh, Narayan was speaking, or I, we were doing, we were kind of playing up here, and she was saying something, I was making gestures, and then there was a, I said to myself, Come on, Ronnie, grow up. You're a teacher, for God's sake. Quick. <laughs> and I, 
but I caught it. I knew it was happening, but I also saw the belief be certified. I saw it. So that's how it's that's how it grows. That's how it's you know, so you okay. You see even as I bring that back up, I can feel the pain of that vulnerability. This is what it means to be invulnerable. To be wide open. To be exposed. We're not going to get around this. And thank God it happens for most people if it happens it would have to happen well into their establishment of stillness of of quiet because that's the unconditioned only unconditioned way in which this stuff will come out and not be reformed not with our nudging it one way or trying to pretend it's a different voice or trying to add something to it. All of that is useless when you're talking about this. This comes up and out and through stillness. And cannot reform in stillness. And in stillness, there is complete vulnerability. Thank you. Can we sit for a minute or two? I read somewhere Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.